Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argyris and this week I'm looking for the best book about is it sal- is it salmon rushdie like the fish Good job. or salmon? Well, it's not it's not exactly like the fish, Solomon, but it's also like not the like the biblical king? king. No, it is going to be Salmon, Salmon Rushdie. Salmon Rushdie. Nope. <laughs> Just two syllables. Two syllables. All right, walk me through it one more time. No. Yep, Salmon. Salmon. Salmon Rushdie. Salmon. 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 So not salmon. Salmon. I don't think he ever said salmon, Joe. I think he said he was pretty close. But that's how you pronounce it's not sa- salmon. It's not salmon, Rushdie. That would be that would be well, silly. It's not salmon anything. There's an L in there. No, the salmon salmon is the fish. You don't pronounce yeah. it salmon. I think everybody pronounces the fish wrong. Is this a conch conch situation? <laughs> it could be. To help me, our two high school English teachers. Can we get fish names this week to in honor of? Yeah. <laughs> Salmon Rushdie. Guys, what's Cat your favorite fish? Joe fish? and Blue Gillian. Catfish is Terrible. good. What's your favorite fish? Can't say shark. Can't say salmon. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really, really like halibut. <laughs> Joe, please introduce yourself. Let's just end on that. Oh, 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 hi, Nick. I am Salman Rushdie. No, no, I'm Joseph Harvey Holshu. I'm a high school English teacher. But if you want to hear about Salman Rushdie, I brought one of the few nonfiction books that he wrote in his life. I brought Joseph Antoine, a memoir by Salman Rushdie. It's a little confusing because it's like a memoir about his own life, but it's got a different guy's name on the cover. We'll get into it. Great. I'm glad. I'm glad we'll get into it. I love that Joe is so committed to his nonfiction snooty snooty brand that when we brought a famed novelist whose main thing is novels, Joe kind of burrowed around and found, oh, uh, here's some nonfiction you did, did this one time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and uh, I am totally on, like in the vein of Salman Rushdie, I am going to be totally unapologetic about any decisions that I've made. <laughs> so, Great. Yep. More of us should be like that. Hello. Greetings. Greetings, Nick and Joe. Greetings, Litheads. Greetings, Salman Rushdie. Uh, glad you're not a friend of the show. And greetings to the Chautauqua Institute in New York. My name is Dr. Ian DeYoung. I'm a high school English English teacher. And this week I brought Salman Rushdie's fatwa inciting novel, The Satanic Verses. And I'm here to say it's a lot of fun. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. I feel like if you go out and buy a copy of the Satanic Verses right now, if it does not say the fatwa inciting masterpiece <laughs> on the back, it's a really missed opportunity for a great blurb. Well, it's, it's really interesting. When I when I went to look for this book, um, I have a, a variety. I prefer to read in, in hard copy um, just because I'm an old man. I have a variety of places I get books, including the uh, university library. There's a university in town um, where I got my Ph.D. in English. Um, mm-hmm. Shakespeare and uh, <laughs> hobbits. Yep. Uh, PhD in hobbits. <laughs> Just let them bleed out. That's the solution. Um, <laughs> but when I went to, when I went to this book at this library, this university library is an academic library. It's got a lot of books, it's got a lot of like classic books. It's got a lot of popular books. 
And there are most of them on the shelves, especially if they're recent, especially if they're important. When I went to get this book, I went to request it and it said unavailable. Mm. It was, it's owned, right? The university owns it. The university right. owns multiple copies, but the book is unavailable for request or um, checkout. Right. And that led me to think of two things. First of all, is this possibly because if it was on the stacks, somebody would come and like poop on it? Second, mm -hmm. what good is it? What good is it for them to own this book and for it to be listed as unavailable? Right. It's like, guys, we have it, but you you just can't see it. You can't you just see have it. To, no, we swear it's back there. No, no, it's seriously, no, it is. Yeah, we got it. It's got real. It. So, okay. So uh, are you confused, Nick? <laughs> Yeah, it's just a, it's like there's just a lot going on with this guy, right? Especially recently. And like, I just don't get like, all right, you put that fatwa out there. Man, that's going to have the opposite effect of what you want, right? I mean, everybody's going to read this book. And what do they call it? The, the Streisand effect, they yeah, call the it. Yeah, the Streisand, right? the Barbara Streisand effect. The counterpoint is the fatwa does seem to have almost had the effect it, it wanted, which is he almost died. So, yeah. That's true. Right. And, and where does that get us, though? You know, you know, it's like, I don't know. Isn't there like a rule about killing people? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Hey, if there isn't, Nick, we'll say it here first on the show. There should be. There should be. Like, should I just, rule. it is quite puzzling. And can, if we could stop banning books mm. slash killing people over books. I just think we'd be in a better place. Look yeah. at Nick, you're such a high-minded progressive. <laughs> <Come> <laughs> Thank you. So I guess that's where I'm at. Do you um, want to hey, do you want to do a quick recap of what um what happened to him? Does somebody want to do that? Because I was talking to somebody this week and they're like, who the what? Who is that? What happened to the mm. stabbing? I don't know what. So Rush Limbaugh, 20 years ago, wrote a book called The Fatwa. And <laughs> Oh, man. Remember Rush Limbaugh? No, that's not what happened. That's not correct. We're just no. having a lot of fun it's here. It's a good story. At the expense of mm -hmm. just a poor old guy. Of, of a who's man just who trying is in a, intensive yeah, care a, right now, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Although, I, there was no, there's not like a, there wasn't, when he got stabbed, there wasn't like a lot of follow-ups like, oh, he's fine. Like, I had to actively look for if he was yeah, going to make it, it or it not. Yeah, it did seem to be hot sounded news like for a couple pretty of days. Bad. Yeah. Well, but like, okay. As Joe's book makes so give clear. So give the recap, Ian, while I go see mm -hmm. if my new TV has arrived. Hold on. Oh, Keep great. Okay. Talk. talk. Uh, basically, Lidheads, the thing was, Joe texted us uh, a couple weeks ago. We're recording this, um, full disclosure, we're recording this on the 22nd of August. Joe texted us shortly after Rushdie got uh, stabbed. And, and he said, look at this. And Salman Rushdie, um, this author who we're talking about today, uh, award-winning uh, giant in the literary scene, I would say. Fatwa inciting giant in the Fatwa yep. inciting, yes. Um, he was speaking on stage at the Chautauqua Institute in New York. Um, a fellow rushed onto stay onto the stage and stabbed him, I think, eleven times in the head and neck. Um, there are pictures. There's an AP reporter at the Chautauqua. Um, event where he was uh, Rushdie was going to be speaking and there were pretty graphic pictures of uh, Rushdie kind of laying in a pool of blood. So um, immediately there was a sense of like, well, maybe, you know, um, 33 years after the fatwa, it's come home to roost. Um, and uh, it does, it does turn out that Rushdie has a lot of fight in him and is 
still alive. He's I, I read reports he might lose the use of his right eye where he was stabbed. Um, so no. he's not going to be no, he's good. God, less funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is going to be a, a tightrope to walk, I think, this week because you know we're a little shucky and jivey on this show, but this is very serious stuff. This is about as serious as literature gets. I think. <laughs> yeah, like, like, um, people yeah. refer to the whole thing situation as the Rush D affair, and like mm. that's you talk about that for matters of international importance. You don't talk about that for little, little fun reader books. Joe, <laughs> Joe, could you imagine getting stabbed for um, too many butlers? Can you like I just think Uh-oh. of all the dumb shit that I say and I'm just like I could get stabbed for some of this. This is insane. And so you say it too. Yeah. And how loudly. And how loudly, yeah. And how well you put it. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. If you're if you if you if you say it just kind of like with a tweet, that's one thing. But if you have a uh five hundred page beautifully written novel about yeah. life and death and good and evil now ian you read the the inciting the novel the, we might say the foul inciting novel yeah and um <laughs> i have a question <laughs> was it worth it do you think do you think all that hoofda you know like what was the well could he have written around that i don't know anything right, about this like, book could he have kept um, those parts out Cut them out. We're probably going to get to that. We'll just yeah, get we, to that. I That's definitely have a teaser. section called the fatwa in my notes. <laughs> I will. I will give a teaser right now and say, I'm not an, uh, um, uh, I, I'm not an, a Muslim, but I, I understand. Yeah. If I could see where they were coming from. I don't agree, but I can understand where they were coming from. Right. In, in being, no, let me, let me, let me qualify that further. Let me qualify that further. I can understand where they're coming from in being bothered by it. I don't think, I think it's morally wrong to um, kill people, to, to kill people Ian, for the things that they say. Right, Even yeah. if someone's like a Nazi, they shouldn't be killed for being for saying Nazi stuff. Mm. Um, maybe their platform should be taken away, but they shouldn't be killed for it. Mm. I understand the dislike of this book. I don't condone, obviously, the. I, I like how much um, Hemming and Haw and Ian is doing here to come out and say, like, hey, I don't really think he should be stabbed in the neck. <laughs> like, I think that was probably I a am anti-stabbing thing. authors. Well, I it's interesting because, like, this is this book is satire. And we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. We'll get to it. All Hang right. on, Litheads. We'll get there. <laughs> Nick, don't worry. Us. We'll figure it out, Litheads. <laughs> You've come to the right spot. <laughs> well, welcome, Litheads. <laughs> You don't know lit a weekler as we call it strongly podcast where every strongly week podcast. we solve global problems. Mm, yes. Could we could we do a spinoff where we where we analyze various fatwas throughout the centuries sure. and oh, welcome to you, you don't, don't know. know fatwa. <laughs> yeah, it's good. You don't know. Ja- no, no yeah, you, you don't, you don't, know, don't know fatwa. I think yeah, it's, you don't is know it. fatwa. It's good. Okay, it's good. Uh, where we uh, pick a theme and Ian and Joe, two high school English teachers big book recommendations and just to upset one of them we pick a winner and we have some show rules to keep us on track rule number one only unavoidable spoilers today gentlemen rule number two omit needless words joe and rule number three only winning matters and of course we do have our um uh shadow rules i'm just pulling them up here right now (laughs) um Yes. What um, are those rules? We just make them <laughs> I'm, up I'm right pulling now. them up. I'm pulling them up. Here it is. Um, what are the rules today, Ian? The shadow rules are effective <laughs> immediately. Changed. All gate passes and tickets will require identification. Okay. I think Ian's just reading some sort of, he, Ian might have bought a ticket to something. I think he's just reading the fine print. It's good. Us. So um, thank you. Ian. In preparation for our spinoff podcast, Too Many Fatwas, uh, I <laughs> no. have taken the. <laughs> 
I've taken the liberty of looking up how many fatwas are there. I, I really didn't know. <laughs> yeah. And the answer, Lidheads, is like there's quite a few fatwas, but it's not like an insane amount. Like if okay. you had a fatwa test, you could you could do it, it in flashcards. So so too many fatwas will be kind of a a limited run. It'll be a, a mini series, an event mini right. series. Right. We're gonna, it'll be like a 40 book series. Oh, maybe um Jeeves could get a fatwa on him. <laughs> well, have to oh, tune, in. tune in. Tune in for chapter two. <laughs> Joe, do you want to take 30 seconds and, and give me a taste of what your book is, is about? Nick, on Valentine's Day, Valentine's Day in oh, 1989, Salman Rushdie got a phone call. It was from a BBC <laughs> journalist who told him that he had been sentenced to death by the Ayatollah Khomeini. Hello? It Who's was this? the first... <laughs> Wait, who is this? It was the first time Rushdie had ever heard the word fatwa, his crime, to have written a novel called The Satanic Verses, which was accused of being, quote, against Islam against the prophet, and against the Quran. 650 pages written in 2013. I brought Joseph Antoine a memoir of Salman Rushdie's life in hiding. Woof. Oh, that's that's a long, fascinating. That's a long book of Rooney. It was, it, was it was a bit of a bite. I thought this week I was going to have the long book. Holy cow. Wow, you guys Salman. Are doing, you guys are putting in the work. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. All right. I'm going to talk about my book now. That'd be great. A Jet explodes in midair over the English Channel. Two men survive, Jibril and Saladin. Specifically, they survive because Jibril is transformed into an angel, and Saladin is transformed into a devil. Throughout the rest of the Satanic Verses, we get to know these two, learn why they were on the jet in the first place, and watch their epic showdown. I'll take the rest of my time to say, get well soon, Salman Rushdie. Okay, so Joe, Ian, that's a nonfiction? <laughs> no, my well, yeah, right, Gabriel. Is, yeah. is it so? You say Gabriel. I mean, we would call this the Archangel Gabriel, or no? Or is um, it like well, so it, it's spelled G I B R E E L. Um, it's um, it's uh, uh, in Islam. There's um, a lot of the. I'm going to say that this is going to be just this is going to sound disrespectful. A lot of the characters from like Judaism and, and Christianity show up, but their names are slightly different. So like um, Abraham is an Abraham. He's Ibrahim. Um, Jesus isn't Jesus. He's Isa. So they kind of this is this is what's going on. Yeah. Gabriel. Um, Gabriel. Yes. More or less like um, big, big major archangel who is the is the is the big kahuna. Right, I, I do feel like, there, yeah. I think there should be more stories about archangels. You know, like when we think of angels, we think of like people, well, angels, I guess, oh, on clouds with harps and halos and little stuff. That's what stuff. I think of, yeah. Archangels have like swords and fire around Trumpets them. Trumpets that shoot fire, yeah. There's a trumpet that shoots really fire cool. in my book. Nick, there's a trumpet that shoots fire in Ian's book. Um, so I don't typically like team, uh, you know, team projects, but are we all deciding that Ian is going first? That's in I the think best, that makes, best interest. I'm gonna I think end. it makes a lot of sense for Ian to go first. Lovely. Ian, tell us about the brook that, the, the brook that you brought today. <laughs> I brought a brook. <laughs> um, okay. So, babble, 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 babble. This is Joe, Joe maybe said, maybe texted earlier this week and said, hey, your book sounds incredibly hard to talk about. And I, <laughs> uh, that's 100% true. How so? Um, that being said, no. This is easily well, one hard. of the more... Um, uh, storied books like outside yeah. of the book itself yeah. that yeah. I think yeah. probably that we've brought. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think part of it is that is part of, part Maybe of Dracula, the, the huge, um, 
shadow that it casts in in the, the real world. Um, so basically, let me let me try and boil. I, I debated on this. I'm gonna b- try and boil this story down. I'm not gonna really tell you a ton of what happens, um, because the story is less about like um a tightly wound plot, though it does have that. It's really character driven. So this is a story about two dudes, Jibril and Saladin. Jibril used to be an actor in India. Um, he is loud. He's funny. He's very like very Indian, very proud of being Indian. Um, he has a love interest. Um, his, his, he, he fell in love with this woman named Alleluia Cone who climbs Mount Everest. Um, and he is like kind of outsized. So that's one guy. That's the first dude that this book is about. And the second dude, um, is Saladin Chamcha and Saladin is kind of the opposite in every regard. He's strict. He's neurotic. Um, he kind of doesn't like his Indianness. He's tried to get away from being Indian. He was born in India, born and raised in India, but he's like, he loves England. He wants to be England. Um, and he doesn't really have the most happy love life. He hasn't really had much success in that regard. So Saladin Chamcha and Jibril Farishta are, um, opposites. They're these, these mirror opposites and they're kind of set in this story on a collision course. Well, you mentioned the plane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so they, they, the plane explodes, they fall out of the plane and they, they fall to England. And in the course of their falling, uh, Jibril becomes an angel specifically the, he becomes the, he becomes the archangel. Does he Jibril. die? No, like, what is still alive? He, he, gets he a becomes halo. the archangel while still alive. That's pretty cool. So, okay. Can I just, it's, it's, can I ask it's some questions? Fantasy. Yes, can I ask yes, some bad yes. questions here real quick? Great. Just from somebody. Do it. Okay. So I don't understand. Like, is this supposed to be like some sort of like commentary on, on religion? Like, is this a religious text? Is this just like this weird fantasy that happens? Is this like reading a, a Vonnegut novel where you're like, what the fuck is going on? Or you're just like, <laughs> I think, okay, I think there's like it. characters and there's explosions and, but it's like fantasy, but it's not fantasy. It's religious characters. And it's, so it's, 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 re- it's a, it's a religious novel. It's a a race novel. It's a class novel. Okay. It's a culture novel. It's like, this is about life. It's really about like the kind of, it sounds so such a, such a poser thing to say, but it's about the world. Sure. It's huge. In I its think that's scope. acceptable, but you are a poser. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I've, yeah, of course, of course. I, 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 I whatever that. that means. It's like a nineties insult. Ian that came in on a skateboard yeah. with <laughs> stupid <Jake> uh, jeans. <laughs> so, um, you've got these, You've got these two characters, Jabriel, kind of, kind of excessive, gross, um, uh, Saladin, kind of very prim and proper, a stickler. And okay. you would expect the gross guy to become the demon, right? And the prim and proper guy to become the angel. But no, possibly oh. it's switched. So Jabriel, outsized, larger than life, hairy, loud. He becomes the angel. He gets mm-hmm. the halo. He ends up with a magic trumpet that shoots fire. Really good. And really cool. Saladin becomes the demon and he grows horns and he is able to manipulate people. And his whole, like they're on this collision course. Yes. And they do have an epic showdown. Yes. Um, but the story is more about these people, these human beings. So I think you kind of, it's weird to say this for a story with so much magic and and surrealism and stuff. Saladin and Jibril seem like human, like real live. Like I could meet, you could meet them. These are people you would know. And 
I, the way that I kind of boil this down for myself is you come for the magical realism and you stay for the human drama. And there's a character who has a bad relationship with one of his parents. And like the last chapter of the book is him going to see his parent and being with his parent as his parent dies. And it's the least magical, the least surreal section of the entire book. But it's just so like I was weeping as I read it. It was it's so like beautifully written and and sensitive and natural. And I, I was reading it. And I was like, this is this is not, you know, cloven hooves and horns and halos and magic and trumpets. This is a person finally making peace and coming to terms with a estranged family member. And that's, it's just like, that's, I think that's the beauty of this novel. I have a question. So like how uh, much of a voice does the author have? Is it like overt that this is just the author sharing his worldview a little bit like okay i brought up vonnegut but like when you read okay i just read breakfast the champions and it's yep. like this is this is vonnegut just talking vonnegut yelling yeah right. yeah this is right. old man yelling is this mm-hmm. book like o- overt like i am a i am a writer with a voice and this is my perspective on the world and can't people relate to it or is this more of a commentary on um issues that like specific to these religions? Uh, no, I think I think why so. Piss people off so much, Ian. What it the really hell? made people mad. Why? Why? Why so mad? Is Nick's okay. question? Yeah, why so mad? This is not. Even though it's uh, a book with angel and demon characters, even though God. Uh, or I guess it's Allah kind of does uh, is, is a narrator for a while, uh, a part of the book. Um, it, it's not like sending messages. It's not saying here's the right way to do Islam or the wrong way. Here's sure. the right way to think about religion or race or class or whatever. Like nah, race a little bit. There are some, some pretty just dreadful racist characters who you're like, yeah, they're horrible, but this is less overt message. And this is more kind of a hodgepodge of, would you say Pulp Fiction has an N overt message? I don't know if any Quentin Tarantino movie has an overt <laughs> message, but uh, no, that sorry, they all have the same message about Uma Thurman's feet. But yes, beyond that, feet, really. it, well, uh, the only thing that comes to mind is that Marcellus Wallace is not a bitch. That's right? true. That is overt. That, that's the <laughs> overt message. Like. But this is like uh, this is as I was reading this. Um, this feels like Pulp Fiction because there is kind of a weird dry humor or, or a sardonic humor to it. There's uh. surrealism. There's a lot of nonlinear narrative. There are these characters who are sort of mentioned and then they pop up and are hugely important later in the story. It's just this what do Islamic people call a Big Mac. Ian? <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 now if you want to be really offensive, you'd you know, do that joke with uh, people who uh, follow the Hindu faith because mm. cows, um, oh, because of the cows, right? Thank right. you. Yeah, because of the cows. Yep. But this is this is the the vibes of this are like kind of a mix of Pulp Fiction, as I've described, Moby Dick, and what we do in the shadows. Are you guys familiar with what we do in the shadows? <laughs> oh, ah, okay. Yes. Second Dracula reference. Yeah. So that's a that's a show about vampires. Funny vampires. Yeah. Funny and and the thing about the yeah. Funny Vampires show is that um, there's something funny, kind of kind of hilarious, ludicrous. I want to say ludicrous. When we put human and supernatural into kind of 
And we bump them up against each other. And some books, some stories are like, let's make this super dark and scary. And I think Rushdie in this novel is like, yeah, this is kind of ludicrous. And I say Moby Dick, they're, they're the Moby Dick vibes. He, it's epic in scope and scale. They're beautiful, like digressions on the nature of humanity and, and evil and good and whales. Po- poetic writing. And there are also explicit references to the book Moby Dick. Um, but what we do in the shadows is like, yes, scary vampires, but also there is a ludicrousness when we look at the supernatural through human eyes and that's why i think that's why rushdie got thoughtwood because <laughs> his, that's not a verb <laughs> it is now i got thoughtwood. i think it is his, we don't have to wait for the the, his, the, the dictionary his, to catch up here you got yeah, we, we coined it right here yeah um his his voice nick to answer your question his voice is human his voice is not islamic or secular his voice is not Indian or British, it's human. And so in this book, he takes, he kind of has a human perspective on, on humanity and also on the supernatural, which is very near and dear to a lot of people to the extent that some people who are very invested in the supernatural went ahead and said he should be killed for writing. them. Okay. So I, I really don't know anything about this and shouldn't be speaking about it, but that's fine. I'm well, good. Was it Muhammad? is represented in the book or he's, is he a straight up character in the book? Yes. Okay. That's okay. part of it. That's, okay. that's one of the things. So that's South one of the things. Park did this too. And that actually, <laughs> they didn't get a follow up, but they also were, I'd say as strongly recom- reprimanded as possible. <laughs> yes. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I think I remember that. Well, and there was the, there was the, um, cart- like you can't, you can't represent Muhammad, right? That's right. That's, that's one of the, the deals. That's the rule. You can't. And it's somehow yeah. a global rule. <laughs> Right. right. It's somehow a global rule. Well, yeah. And I think that's kind of the interesting part is like, well, how does that become a global rule? Well, well, we'll kill you incited you terror it, yeah. is, is how it becomes a global rule. Yeah. Um, Charlie Hebdo comes to mind. Yes. Charlie yes. Hebdo, that's Hebdo, the other one. Hebdo. Hebdo. Yeah. Where they were publishing intentionally, right? Depictions of Muhammad um, in, intentionally oh, yeah. to be like, subversive. To, define, yes. to be subversive. Yes. Incendiary. Exactly. Yeah, well, and I think it's not just like, so So obviously depicting Muhammad is bad, but there's also, if you depict him as uh, less than, less, like as as kind of not not great. Satirizing? Right. There is definitely, like, so this, that's one of the, the descriptions for this novel genre. It is satire. And it's, yeah. it's a, I would say it's a fairly, it's a fairly respectful satire. Like it's, Muhammad is not presented as horrifying or evil or gross, but... He's not presented like a big thing with with Islam. I did had to do some research on this because I I didn't know. But a big thing with Islam is the reliability. Two things, monotheism and the reliability of what Muhammad said. When Muhammad said stuff like the deal was the deal with Islam is you you, you believe it. You buy it. It's the Quran. Like the Quran is right. What Muhammad said is the Quran. The Quran is infallible. Therefore, like don't mess with that kind of chain of God said it. Then the Archangel Jibreel relayed that to Muhammad and then Muhammad had it written down and that's the Quran. Like that kind of mm-hmm. step, that kind of process is important to them. So when Rushdie picks up on an event in Islamic tradition, the event of the satanic verses, and he dramatizes this and he represents this part. Are you guys ready for Islamic tradition story time? Islamic tradition story time. Here uh, we maybe go. some intro music. 
Yeah, go for Islamic it, Islamic tradition okay. story no, that's, time. Nope, that's not, that's going to get cut. Sure. Um, okay, so in uh, in Islamic tradition, the person who is involved, who is, who is so God would, God would think something and then um, the archangel Jibreel would relay it to Muhammad and to use the link. And one time, Jibreel told Muhammad, hey, you know these three local goddesses? It is cool if they're also gods. Mm-hmm. That's fine. To go for it. And Muhammad right. went back and he told everybody, okay, guess what? These three local goddesses, they're also deities. Right, which is a huge departure from mm-hmm. what Allah, the one true God. Yes, yes. Yeah. Monotheism. But then, so that's kind of the first reason this is this is a scandalous part of the, the history. But then the second re- part of the, the reason is that I, uh, 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 Muhammad was like, Oh, wait, actually, crap, no, that, I think that was Satan who told me that, not Jibreel, so forget Um. that thing. And here we have not just monotheism kind of being undermined, but also Muhammad's words are perfect, that thing is undermined. And so this is a part of Islamic tradition that it's kind of a dark, a dark part of the history that they don't like to think about. So this story, one of the reasons this story this this novel is fought with was because it's like focused on this kind of idea of the imper- potential imperfection of the Quran. There's also, I didn't realize this until I did my background research. The guy who did the fatwa, uh, Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini, is a character in the book. And he is depicted really pretty, pretty gross and hey. pretty monstrous. And Uh-oh. so doth yeah. protest too much what why is he portrayed it's wide-ranging it's it's a it's a wide-ranging story there's just a there's so so when um when jibril um our angel character when he is kind of uh experiencing what it's like to be an angel one of his things is he dreams and when he dreams he accesses various points in islamic the history of islamic tradition and one of the points he accesses is uh the ayatollah Ruhollah khomeini um uh, talking to him and getting his inputs on the Iranian revolution and stuff. And so Rushdie uses this to satirize and to kind of condemn a lot of the excesses of the Iranian revolution. And um, this, I think, did bother the Ayatollah. Well, so then I would imagine there's this undercurrent of, hey, why the fatwa, Ayatollah Khomeini? And like the mm. official answer is, well, he really depicts spoke Muhammad. Against the prophet, in, yeah. yeah, he spoke against the prophet. But maybe the unofficial answer is, yeah, and he talks shit about me. Right. Right. So um just briefly, and then I'll, I think I think this is where I'll end it, if that's okay with you guys. Yeah, I think we should end this quickly, Ian. <laughs> Before we <laughs> dig ourselves any further. He went on the radio. Uh, in 1989, and he said, this book is blasphemous. The author and the editor and the publishers should all be killed. Every Muslim needs to pour everything into killing, especially Rushdie. Mm -hmm. And if you're a non-Muslim and you know where Rushdie is, tell us and we'll give you a bunch of money. Mm -hmm. By the way, there's a $3.1 million bounty on Rushdie's head. This would be like if, and, and just to be clear what a fatwa is, if the Pope were to say, God told me that people from Texas can't go to heaven. Mm-hmm. Like when the Pope says it like that, 
that it has weight, right? The, 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 yeah. the belief system says you're not just like, this is the Pope's idea after, you know, being cut off by a guy in a cowboy hat on no, the highway. Basically God is telling you this. He's yes. Mm-hmm. He's speaking for the divine. So when Khomeini says this, he is like setting in stone. Okay. Now this is like revelation. This is divine. And this is unchangeable. So this is the thing about a font where you can't take, there are no take backsies. No, no take backs. No take backs. Um, oh, it kind of lasts forever, huh? Yes. That makes mm. sense because God said it. He's not going to be like, oh, never mind. <laughs> I, I gave up on that <laughs> no, one. I'm right. good. I said that ah, in the 80s. Things were wild. Interesting. And so I thought it was like a bounty. <laughs> no, it doesn't expire. It's weird that, you know, we're getting Salman Rushdie headlines in 2022. But, you know, 30, 33 years later, it the, the chickens came home to roost. Right. Wow. On a heavenly timescale, not so much. Exactly. So right. Right. Yeah. So this week for me was uh, a, a trip in multiple ways. First of all, this book is an absolute trip. I haven't done it justice. It's a beautiful book. And even if I don't win this week, you guys need to find time to read it because it's incredible. And second, like the whole Fatwa trip is just, wow, just fascinating. And I also think like, I, I always wonder, I feel like the Satanic Verses is one of these books where everybody knows about it. Yep. Nobody has actually read exactly. it. So, so I think Ian, like having read this book this week, it's like, Hey guys, like I've read the satanic verses. Have you? <laughs> right. Yes. Oh, I mean, for, for being snooty, it's, it's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm Good, putting this in my back points. pocket. Uh, big snoot mm. points. Yeah. Much snoot, like Pinocchio. Two snoot points to Ian. <laughs> also my dog, big snoot points. Oh, great. Yeah. That's nice. Dogs are great. <laughs> dog. Yeah. Love them. They're not as good They're as good. cats though. Huh? Oof. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> and that, ladies and fought gentlemen, fought is where I'm going to get a Nick, cat on me. Where, <laughs> no way. Uh, it would be a dog one. Dog dog, dog I'm going to get a dog one on me. <laughs> oh, I wish it had been the other way because Kawa does work better than, than dog one, but it's it all good. Whatever. Do you, think, good. Um, do you think, um, Mr. Rushdie, do you think he laughs about this? Is he, what's his, has he been interviewed I, since all this? Oh, I love the past 30 years. Nick, welcome to my book. (laughs) Oh, great. That's good. It's called The Segway, folks. What are we, before we segue, what are we doing next week? Um, We're doing a cop out uh, later this week uh, in which I am bringing a book. Cool. What are you bringing, Joe? I'm bringing a book. So, um, guys, it's back to school time. BTS. BTS. Famous Korean band BTS. Ian, have you had your back to school dreams yet or no? Do you have I back have. to school dreams? Oh, baby, I do. And yeah. yes, I have. They began a couple of nights ago. Yes. Briefly okay. tell yeah, us I, about I your also, back. Hold on. Briefly tell us yeah. about your back to school dreams. And briefly, please. Uh, usually I've forgotten something so you're important. You're both naked. Yeah. No, there's no nakedness. Thank goodness. Um, <laughs> this is, I've, I've forgotten to plan. It's it's always I've forgotten to plan. You forgot to do something. Forgot to plan. Joe? Yeah, so I too have started having my back to school dreams just a few nights ago. And my back to school dreams are usually some variation of hey, Joe, we have good news and bad news for you. The bad news is, is that your freshman class is going to be 150 students this year. And I'm like, that is bad news. What's the good news? And they say, the good news is, is you can teach it in the commons. (laughs) 
which is like a is large that a teacher joke? Area. Yeah, it's, it's like a large common area, and the thought of having 150 freshmen in like cafeteria basically is mm. it does is not great. So, um, guys, as you know, um, it, teachers are the worst. Our job is a farce. And to prove it this week, yeah. I am bringing a book called The Case Against Education, Why the Education System is a Waste of Time and Money. Oh, no. In 2018 <laughs> by a guy named Brian Kaplan. It's a book I read a handful of years ago. It does exactly what it says on the cover. It makes a logical case against the education system. Great. Um, and... Yeah, and I'm I I'm looking forward to presenting it this week. It's probably going to be super compelling. If it's a book. next week, tune in for the sound of weeping. <laughs> <laughs> Three hundred thirty-four ratings, five and or four and a half stars on Amazon. Nick, I want to talk about Salman Rushdie to you. With me or not to you? No, just to you. <laughs> shut up and sit down. Well, it's Salman Rushdie time. Shut, sit back, shut the fuck up, and listen. <laughs> Welcome to Joe's classroom. (laughs) (laughs) I talk, they listen. How hard is education, guys? (laughs) All right, Nick, before I tell this story, though, so I feel like I've told a lot of farm stories on this podcast. I feel like I have not told enough Nance stories on this podcast. And Nick, as you know, Nance is your mother. Nance is my mother, and she's a bit of a character. Before I tell this story, um, before I get into any of this, I want to say here and now, my mom almost killed Salman Rushdie. Have you Good. heard this story, Nick? Uh-oh. This um, <laughs> this episode is taking a left turn. <laughs> I don't know what okay. you're about to say, Joe, so that may- always makes me nervous. Lidheads, go along on the journey with us, please. All right. Salman Rushdie um, is... is- Lived much of his life after the fatwa. After the fatwa, he lived for about 10, 12 years in total seclusion, police protection, in hiding, more or less. Um, as things relaxed and eventually the Iranian state was like, hey, guys, that fatwa isn't so serious of a deal. Um, Salman Rushdie began to go out into the world again, give book readings and live a normal life as an author. And Salman Rushdie gave a speech, like gave a reading in my hometown, a little old Appleton, Wisconsin, population oh 76,000 people. Salman Rushdie gave a speech. Should I Google this? Is this on? Is my mom on his Wikipedia page? Yeah. While he was walking to the speech, Nick, my mom, who is going to go see this speech and who is, you also know, a terrible driver and late for everything. Uh, was I just want sp- to say, uh, Nance, if you're listening, Nance. we I, I appreciate I you, I guess. No, it's <laughs> great, probably. No, it, everything it, I've it said about truth, my mother is you true. Sh- you should see Nance take it 50 miles an hour down my driveway. It's, it's keep the, going, Joe. <laughs> she's the only person I've ever seen put a minivan on two wheels. <laughs> Okay. Yep. <laughs> uh, my mom, on her way to the reading, um, had to slam on the brakes as a man crossed the street in front of her to the reading. As she left skid marks on the street, she looked up to see that it was Salman Rushdie that she had almost run over. So um, your mother could have been a hero uh, to to many. <laughs> yes, a hero to many. <laughs> An to enemy many. to also many. <laughs> All right. So that is um, Nancy Corner. What was she doing two weeks ago, Joe? That's a good question. And Probably watching yeah. your kid. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> All right. So, Nick, I read this week Joseph Antoine, a memoir. And Joseph Antoine is the alias that Salomon Rushdie took when he was living in hiding in the 10, 12 years after, after the fatwa was declared. Does he say where he was hiding? 
Uh, yeah, yeah. This is a, it, he does say where he was hiding. And he says when that, a lot of this book is him giving essentially a play by play of what exactly it was like being in hiding. He talks about how he got the police protection. He talks about how cooperative the British government was or uncooperative they might have been as governments changed during this time. Um, He talks about first we went and lived in this apartment that was my friend's and then that got compromised. So I had to like take my entire security detail and live in a new apartment or a new house or whatever. Um, A lot of this book, in fact, the whole like middle oh, I don't know, third of this book is really concerned with, and then this happened, and then we were compromised, and then this happened, and this is how I tried to deal with it, et cetera. This is Boy. really, um, hmm, how do I put this? How do you put this? <laughs> pretty, um, this is a pretty big deal, huh? This took up a better chunk of his life, and he was in nope. legitimate hiding, huh? And this is going to sound so stupid to say in the, in the aftermath of uh, the attack against him a couple of weeks ago, but one of them was just how genuinely dangerous this fatwa was. Sure. Like, so give us a sense, Joe, yeah. Yeah, so, so I grew up in a world in which Solomon Rushdie was kind of a known name. Like, like I knew this name quite a while ago, despite never having read any of his books. Um, if you had like, you know, I always think if you have a note card, like a file card, a library card that just has one fact about the person on the back of it, right? So it's like, oh, Nick Argyris, famous podcaster, cool Ian DeYoung, famously handsome, right? Things like this. Solomon Rushdie on the back of that card, it says fatwa. But it was just a trivia fact like he was alive he was speaking it seemed like it was kind of something of the past in the 10 years after this was declared and and rushdie talks about this he's like at first i didn't really know what it meant like the government seemed to take it really seriously like they Mm -hmm. offered me a police protection he says and then there were protests against me in this faraway place and six people were shot by the police in the protest like six people died in that protest and it was the first i realized oh, this is going to be a big deal. In that 10 years uh, that the book covers here, 45 people were killed in riots over the book. Holy shit. 12 people killed in Rushdie's hometown. In 1991, his Japanese translator was stabbed to Mm -hmm. death. Um, His Italian translator was also stabbed in a knife attack in that year. In 1993, his Norwegian publisher was shot three times from the bushes but turned out to survive. This was one of my big takeaways, legitimately incredibly dangerous for um, Rushdie and anybody connected with the publishing of this book. This episode's never getting published. (laughs) They sent bombs to bookstores. There's like a list, a list of bookstores that were closed because uh, of bomb threats. When, when the book was, when the book was put, um, when put on the, and and as a result. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off. I have a question. When and why? When and why did this taper off? Yeah, so that's, that's a good question. That that's a really good question. And um, is, is there an answer for that, or is this like a ten-year media cycle, or what is happening? Yeah, it's <laughs> so it, that is a really good question. And the answer is more or less: well, it tapered off kind of slowly, inch by inch, over the course of 10, 12 years. The drama that takes place, like what Rushdie's doing during that time, is more or less kind of 
fighting for his good name. Um, he's writing op-eds. He's meeting with politicians. He's going to award ceremonies and like giving speeches about like w- about his plight and what should happen. He's working behind the scenes trying to pull strings to make like governments more favorable for him or maybe governments lean on Iran a little bit in order to get this to kind of go away. Mm-hmm. He's essentially doing everything in his power to get out from Stop underneath people this. people from dying. Yeah, or trying to kill him, uh, uh, you know, poignantly trying to kill him. It's got to be a tremendous amount of guilt on his shoulders. Um, yeah, I I think there is. Um, and Uh, yeah, if it was me, (laughs) there would be. Okay, but he's. I think maybe, and maybe, and Joe, I'm I'm sure you're going to speak to this. I I think Rushdie is not. Rushdie understands that the fatwa is. No, it is is not his fault. Yeah. Like it's not it's not like I'm sorry you responded that way kind of apology. But he did mm-hmm. issue an apology where he was like, "Hey, I know this set people off, but he's he seems to have been fairly straight, like fairly clear on, dude. I'm not to blame for you trying to suppress free speech. Yeah, yeah. But maybe so, guilt. I don't know about guilt. No, no. So, so yeah. let me talk about. Yeah, go ahead. I just meant like because like 45 people died because of the book that uh-huh. he wrote. So. Well, let me talk about like what was interesting. It's, it's a fascinating, in this book. Com- fascinatingly complex topic. <laughs> well, it's crazy. Like when, <laughs> anyway, when he learned about the fatwa, right? Like he, uh, uh, the whole like first probably twenty five percent of this book, maybe a little bit less, is basically the backstory of how the satanic verses came to be. So I kind of expected this story to start in nineteen eighty nine. Um, it doesn't. This story starts when he is a child, like he's a little kid. He talks about following his dad around. His dad was a religious skeptic um, who who had his own issues with like how the Quran was assembled. Ian was talking about Muhammad goes, listens to Gabriel, comes down, transcribes. His dad had this theory about like how the Quran was the word of God, but probably written out of order. And Rushdie grew up in this in this house that like it was kind of okay to be questioning of stuff like this. Skeptical. Sure. Skeptical. Somewhere along the line, he learns about the satanic verses, which Ian has gone into. And he thought, man, what a good story that is. Like, that's interesting. And like this little seed was planted. He writes the book. From his point of view, and we get it, of course, from his point of view here, he writes the book um, trying to portray Muhammad as a fallible man who he argues Muhammad always wanted to be portrayed as, right? Like Muhammad means messenger, right? He's his whole his whole thing is like, hey, look, I am not a god. I am just the messenger of God here. Okay. He portrays him as a man. He portrays him as fallible. And Rushdie comes across as very, very innocent in his intentions behind the satanic verses yeah in fact in the very first interview that he gives which he gives right after learning about the fatwa um he's asked on stage he says hey what do you think about the reaction to the satanic verses what do you think about this threat and rushdie's off the cuff response is honestly i wish i had written a more critical book <laughs> right like i wasn't even trying to be critical Should've yeah so that's interesting so intentions yeah i mean any other just like broad commentary is his general position like hey i wasn't trying to do this that's like the that's like what he establishes at the outset where it's like look like i was 
not really trying to write a book about Islam, but honest or write a book that was like seen as hypercritical of Islam. But honestly, if this is Islam's reaction to my book, maybe they should look in the mirror. It is kind of his stance. Interesting. So it's a little bit of a, well, fuck you attitude, right? It, it, so <laughs> did, when this initially happened, it, it, it's strange to me that the intention wasn't necessarily to be critical because what did he ever take the position of like, hey, so I'll just calm down a little bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, I'm sorry if I offended you. Did he ever, he ne- like, there has never been an apology or anything like that. Is, was that ever requested was like okay. an apology ever requested and it was like straight up denied and that's why the photo you know what i mean yep so throughout this 10 years rushdie's kind of doing things to i guess clear his name as it were or kind of get out from under this sword um and he meets with various religious leaders like people who say things like look salman i think i can help you make this problem go away but you're going to have to probably agree to like retract sections of this book and republish it right and the not huge sections but like these 10 pages here these couple pages here like if you can make those go away i think i'll be able to help you and salman rushdie's kind of says no like like i'm not going to do that right like i but that's different than like a like a verbally communicating right but they don't that that's not on the table salman rushdie i think from the outside is often perceived as a bit arrogant, right? Like, like a bit arrogant, a bit mm, unwavering. And I think one of the things that does this is throughout this book, it is so, so clear that Rushdie is totally unapologetic for what he has written. Like his stance from page one of this book to page 650 of this book is, hey, I wasn't trying to be that critical of Islam to begin with. So how about y'all settle down? (laughs) Number two, like if you're this upset about it, maybe it's something like maybe you don't like what you see in the mirror. And number three, I'm not changing a word. Go fuck yourself. Right. Like that is pretty. Now, he says that in incredibly academic terms and he's a wonderful writer and and all those things. But a lot of that. Forget about it. (laughs) Well, but a lot of the time that he spends in those 10 years, he spends writing op-eds, like like defending himself, or not not even defending himself, but defending like the free speech of writers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he spends kind of going to aware, award ceremonies where he's won awards for something or another, um, and and basically giving speeches that are boiled down to, I've done nothing wrong. The writers, like like authors, are the mirrors of society. We should be able to say whatever we want. I am unapologetic. Yeah, again, I think he says it in beautiful ways. I, I'm not being critical of that. I just I am genu- genuinely curious. I mean, the other thing I'm kind of curious about here. I know, Ian, you want to say something. The, the other thing I'm curious about here is too is like the timing of all of this. Like, yeah. I don't know if this got written today, would this even be? Would anybody care? Like, I just feel like it's such a different world. 30 years ago when did this come out um that you know like you could i don't know yeah i don't know and and keep in mind like this comes this comes in like the in the aftermath of the iranian revolution where like like there's been a rise to power by islamic leaders was he a political scapegoat i just i'm I'm so curious i like we live in a world where like the media controls everything we think and say and i just think like 
Like, was that how big of a I wonder how big of a factor that was back then? I'll just point out that sort of in terms of like wide cultural perceptions of Islam, 9-11 had a huge impact. Yeah. Um, and, and I think in some negative ways, the rise of Islamophobia, the rise of Islam focused hate crimes um, to the extent that I, I don't I can't answer your question, like how this would land today, Nick. But I do think that we're in a different um, because of the the rise of sort of terrorist organizations and coupled with that, the rise of Islamophobia, like serious, almost um, we saw this in Donald Trump was president, sort of like a, 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 a codifying. Like if you are a certain if you're if you are from these these, he said, shithole countries, you don't get to come here. Sort of a codifying of this race based religion based discrimination. I think that things are different now, whether that's that means they're different for the better. This book would would be more accepted today or worse. I don't know, but I think we're in a yeah. very different position here. Reading this really feels like a time capsule. This book was yeah. published the year before I was born, and yet it feels like it's absolutely from a different era. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. That was No, no, no. You're you're totally fine. Um, Nick, thank you for apologizing, Ian. <laughs> I'm sorry for everything I say on the show. You, you ask about the media's role in this, and the media has a huge role in this. Um, Salman Rushdie at home, because like after he wrote this book, he was given 24-hour police protection. He was given armored vehicles. Police lived in his house with him, like, like ununiformed police officers, non-uniformed police officers lived in his house with him, all at the expense of the state. Now, this is something that the state offers, right, to people who are maybe like political dissidents, to former politicians. Like it's it's something that the state does, like they're equivalent of the Secret Service. But the perception was is if a former prime minister gets this level of security, well, they deserve it because they've done something for the country. Right. They've done something good for us. Right. We're just doing we're just doing our end to protect them. Salman Rushdie has not done anything good for the country. It was what the perception was. He is a tremendous burden on England. He does nothing but piss people off. He is totally unapologetic about it. And honestly, it might be better if he just left is kind of was kind of like the media um, narrative at right. the time to the point that Salman Rushdie started losing a lot of support inside of his own government. And as new elections came up, he was a very keen observer of those elections, knowing full well that if the wrong party got into power or if a non-sympathetic party got into power, he could lose the protection that is keeping him alive, right? That, That is straight up keeping him and his family alive. And he does a lot of work including like traveling to America and meeting with Bill Clinton and and um and his cabinet like to try to get them to put pressure on incoming governments in England to like keep him safe. So the media is a huge role in this and as time goes on, you know, as time passes from the initial declaration of the fatwa, I think the perception of him slightly begins to warm over time for a variety of reasons. Um, He becomes kind of politically 
popular, Mm -hmm. but Rushdie makes it very clear that that did not happen overnight. It is not how it initially was. And he, any popularity that any popularity that he has, he had to win inch by inch by inch as he was fearing for his life in seclusion every day. Yeah. I think there was also a growth in, um, with 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 the nineties and the early two thousands, kind of a, a desire to lionize um, yeah. free speech and sort of yeah. democratic, like the, the the return of the cult of democracy, where yeah. like and and I think he now is held up. Rushdie is held up as one of these guys who, you know, like he's an avatar for the danger of oppression to free speech. Um, he's yeah. an advocate for free speech, and um, I think. Um, this is something which over time sort of gathered on him, accreted to him. Yeah. Yeah. And through a lot of, as Rushdie would say in this book, um, through a lot of very deliberate work on his part, right? Like he just doubles down and doubles down again on the author's sanctity as a speaker. Good book, Joe. Yeah, I I really, really liked it. I, I, I liked it more than I thought I was going to. Um, as always, there's a ton of stuff I didn't get to, like a lot of like just interesting little tidbits. Um, he he like hobnobs in like these crazy literary circles. Like this book is full of like name drops. Like he's at parties with Kurt Vonnegut and Any Norman names Mailer. You recognize? Yeah. Yeah. Many, many names. And in fact, he name drops so frequently that every once in a while he would drop a name that I didn't know, but because you're used to the pattern, you're like, I got to figure oh, out yes, who this guy is. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so I'm spending time on Wikipedia. Did you hear that Lithead? Uh, so if those reasons weren't enough, uh, Kim Kardashian is in Joe's book. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, guys, I don't think there's ever been a higher stakes for who should win. Pretty high stakes. Like a flying cow. Um, oh, oh, Nick, sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Can I just say one more thing? Yeah. Um, it, it's like literally a sentence Very long. irregular. But. After the news of Salman Rushdie, one of the responses, and I think it's a great response, is people run out and buy Salman Rushdie books. And the obvious one to buy here is the satanic verses, right? Like, hey, let me see what the big deal is. Let me run out. Let me get the satanic verses. Let yeah. me try to read it. And I say try to read it because from everything I've heard of the satanic verses, I think it is not an easy book to read. I think if you're interested, Lidheads, in Solomon Rushdie's being attacked here, if you are interested in the backstory, if you're interested in what led to this moment, um, I think you should not read the satanic verses. I okay. think you should this read is, Joseph's yes. answer I think, on a I think if you want to if you want to understand the situation, I think my book is way better for yeah, it. Because I, I'm not sure I follow the argument, Joe. I feel like if you're interested in the argument, that is what you should read. But maybe he has other books that are of, of high merit as well. Yeah, I think no. These um, are the only two. He's- <laughs> no, the, these are. It's just the two. <laughs> just the <laughs> you two. Have to choose. <laughs> have to choose, litheads. I don't know. I mean, I probably want to read the the one that started it all, Joe. I think you're going to regret it if you do. I, I think, think you're going to get 20 pages into it and quit like everybody Magic else. Magic fire <laughs> trumpets. I don't know. I, I like the idea of being uh, being able to really hold that over people. You know, that is very. It's very cocky. Lord over them with my fatwa book. I do think that if somebody sees you reading this fatwa book at a coffee shop, they're going to kind of roll their eyes and be like, "Oh, of course he's just reading the Satanic verses now after Salman Rushdie." No, got no, 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 Joe, 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 you're not. You're not listening. I would never read it in public. 
I would oh, tell people I read it years ago. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, was he attacked? <laughs> the, I got the audiobook for this so I could listen to it when I wasn't able to read because it was so long. And the audiobook for this is absolutely incredible. Some audiobooks are kind of crap. It's read by one dude. It's just like, it's just like just him. I'm getting the name right now. But it is a big part of the satanic verses is it's um uh the like the the sound of people's voices accents mm. and things and this one dude does such a wide range of accents for this from indian to um uh uh, uh name another one Ian. Gabriel, oh, another gabriel, one gabriel, 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 another one quick gabriel <laughs> gabriel-esque um sort of uh otherworldly ethereal but also like middle eastern to working class London to highbrow British lady. Like there's such a huge, and it's, and then his voice for God is like just slightly different. So you can hear, Oh, this is, it's so good. It's such a good audiobook. All right. Lit heads. Um, there's a few things that you can do. If you are enjoying the show, you can head on over to the podcast player of your choice and rate us five stars. If you please, you can head on over to you don't know lit podcast.com. Sometimes we, um, the news provides us obvious things to talk about. Um, <laughs> sometimes you provide us things to talk about. You can suggest a book, suggest a theme, or there's a button there that's, you can request a sticker that you can graffiti, uh, graffito. I think it depends if you're a man or woman, mm -hmm. uh, your neighborhood with, and I think that's it. Also, uh, Litheads, if you want to send Nick hate mail directly because it's that's been a while funny. since your boy Joe has won uh, oh, one okay. of these, uh, maybe a little political pressure on no. the on the com uh, Ayatollah of this show. All right. Uh, congratulations, Ian. Satanic Versus. Congratulations for reading it. Very cool. Heard it's hard to read. It's not. It's great. <laughs> I was enthralled. All right. My book is or my quote is short. Um, Rushdie is a master of language. It's, uh, he's eminently quotable. Um, and this book has so many quotable little nuggets that it's hard to find one, but, um, this is one which has stuck with me and what I'm going to be going to be thinking about for a long time. He says, language is courage, the ability to conceive a thought, to speak it and by doing it, to make it true. <laughs>